good to be together, uh, even in trying times. In fact, maybe especially in trying times. We are grateful for uh, the folks that are able to join us online, and uh, we are mindful of those who are sick or recovering from illness. Uh, we're doing this series, One God, One Lord, One Church. Today, One Faith. I'll talk about one faith, these things that give us hope, that create our foundations for us, one faith. We've had some horrible fires. Somebody reminded me that 2020 was going to be famous for the year that Australia caught on fire, because that's how the year started, these horrible fires that swept all over the continent uh, of Australia, so many uh, parts of Australia. Unfortunately, 2020 had other plans, but, and more catastrophes were to come. But I was reading about fires, and one of the worst fires that ever happened in the United States actually happened uh, 110 years ago, the Great Burn in Montana and Idaho. It was, uh, people have argued about what caused it and what was wrong. There actually had been fires all summer long in 2000, I mean in 1910. Uh, catching fire, being put out, being controlled all summer long. A new railway had cut through uh, some pristine old forest. And of course back then, the trains were spewing out smoke but also cinders from the coal that they were burning and they actually hired people to walk along the tracks to try and put out the flames but didn't always work so fires had been burning and then august 20th and 21st those fires that existed and some very unique weather conditions created firestorms and in two days, firestorms actually burned three million acres. Um, just spread and, and in many cases wiped out whole towns, whole settlements. I was reading about the people who were hired back then to fight fires. They didn't have helicopters, they didn't have planes to drop water, they... Uh, they didn't have motorized vehicles, usually. Uh, Teresa, this is for you. They were horsemen. They rode horses up into the fire zone. Uh, Delana, you too, I guess. Um, they rode horses up into the fire zone. They carried these 10-gallon water packs on their back and, and you know, would try to put out the small fires uh, where the fire was beginning to spread clear away uh, fire breaks, do all of the things that you could do to try and direct or contain uh, these massive fires. One group, famous, this is a famous story from this Great Burn fire of 1910. One group of these firefighters, they called themselves fire rangers, they got cut off and surrounded the fire was actually approaching from three different directions. 
And their leader, and I don't even know his first name, it's not recorded in what I could find, his last name was Pulaski, Ranger Pulaski. He was their leader, crew of about 45 of these fire rangers in the middle of the night realized that if they didn't move, uh, they would all perish. I just want you to stop for a second and think about that situation. Fire is closing in. You're in the middle of the night. So what's not fire is pitch black. They said this was, the fire was so hot that this was one of those fires where trees would just explode like dynamite had been put in them. Just ignite all at once the whole tree. What would you want in that moment? With death closing in on you, what would you want? They said some people panicked, some people had this idea, that idea. People were wanting to run in various directions. And Ranger Pulaski, the chief, kind of, in some cases, physically, organized his group of 45 and led them down into a ravine. Some people thought that was crazy. We're going to be trapped down there. But he, he had worked in that area before as a miner. There was an abandoned mine in that uh, zone. And he led them into that mine shaft. And then he blocked the entrance with his body. The fire actually ended up closing in on all four sides and raged for a uh, better part of a day around them. At certain points, Pulaski, again, sometimes physically, sometimes verbally, kept people from panicking and, and bolting for the door by standing in front of it and occasionally knocking back those who tried to escape. There was some water in the mine. They found some old blankets. He held a blanket up with his, with his bare hands behind his back to kind of keep the most of the smoke and dust and fire from coming into the entrance where they were huddled. It was terrible in that mine. The smoke began to infiltrate. One after another, the rangers lost consciousness and dropped to the ground. The um, Great Burn fire killed 86 people in those two days. None of them were part of Ranger Pulaski's crew. When the rescuers finally arrived, uh, many of the miners were unconscious and had to be treated for very serious injuries. One ranger in the entrance looked dead, and, and, and one of the rescuers said, this one's dead, until that one spoke up. It was the chief, Pulaski, said, I'm not dead yet, or words to that effect. When you become aware of how dangerous your situation is, and when people are urging you to run in five different directions at once, what you want is someone who can bring you to safety. Now, there are various things that we can say about what the faith is. 
the faith that the New Testament talks about, the faith that the Old Testament talks about. But the essentials are this, that you are the people that have realized the danger and have reached out for the one who can lead you to safety. That's our faith. And this is a faith that is making this offer of salvation to reach out and save people all across the world. That's actually one of the very first points that Paul makes when he's writing to the Colossians. The Colossians were this small little church and he says this to them. We always thank God, starting in verse 3, we always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you because we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and in the love you have for all of God's people. The faith and love spring from the hope stored up for you in heaven and about which you have already heard in the true message of the gospel that has come to you in the same way, the gospel is bearing fruit and growing throughout the whole world, just as it has been doing among you since the day you heard it and truly understood God's grace. The first point that Paul does is to say, your faith, this faith that you realize is saving you from danger, this faith that you realize has snatched you out of the fire, that story is being repeated Paul says, all over the world. And, and the faith that you and I now share with these people that Paul was writing to almost 2,000 years ago unites us in a way that the world outside the faith will rarely be able to understand. I've said this on many occasions I have a house that I can go to in Australia, multiple ones, in New Zealand, in Japan, in China, in Germany, in Nigeria, in Kenya, in France, in England, in Scotland, in Ireland, and so do you all across the world. There are Christians who are very different in so many ways, but held together by this thing, this one faith of ours. That's a point that Paul makes in the Galatians passage that we had read this morning. He says, so in Christ Jesus, starting in verse 26, so in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. The second feature of the faith that I want us to get in our heads, it's the thing that reaches out and saves us from the darkness and saves us from the chaos and saves us from the confusion and saves us from destruction. And it binds us together in a family. 
all around the world. And among so many different kinds of people. Your faith, whenever it was that you realized you believed in Jesus Christ, and that's a different story for every person. But whenever it was that you realized that you were willing to put your trust in Jesus Christ and make it your life's mission to follow him and put him on in baptism, in that moment, a bond was created between you and everyone else who had that experience. And that's a magnificent claim. Because... The world of the first century was very much like the world of the 21st century in this regard. People focused on what separated. Jews do not fellowship with Gentiles. Men must be kept separate from women. Slaves, free Rich, poor, he lists several of these divisions, and there were so many others that we could focus on. Citizens of Rome, non-citizens of Rome, friends of Rome, enemies of Rome. And what Paul, he makes this grand claim, it says that you, because of your faith in Jesus Christ, whoever you are, have been linked in the same family with everyone else who has been baptized. But Paul, you don't understand, some of these people are actually enemies of what my country or my group of people are trying to do. They actually seem to be working against me. Jesus Christ, baptism in his name, through faith, makes all of the human differences that we want to focus on vanish, Paul says. Now, it takes us a long time to figure that out. He was writing to a church that was about to split over the difference between Jews and Gentiles. It takes us a long time to grow into the truth of what happens to us when we are baptized through faith in Jesus Christ. But we are united to everyone else who's had that experience. You can look around this auditorium. There are a lot of differences here. Some people are extroverts. Some people, like me, are introverts. Some people have fascinating personalities. Other people have boring personalities. I'm not pointing to anyone. Some people are just kind of naturally easygoing. Other people are kind of conflict prone. That's just in this church, this congregation. And we can multiply that and multiply that and multiply that. It's not easy to live in the truth of what Galatians just said. But it is the truth. And it is what the faith means. You, saved by the blood of Jesus Christ. You, putting your life in his hands, share a bond that is greater than any human thing that separates with everyone else who has done the same thing.
the faith. The faith that can bind us together. When you have the faith, it's not a one and done proposition. It's not a finished product ever in your life. And Paul actually, back in Colossians, mentions that. If you're in Colossians chapter 1, look down in verse 9. For this reason, since the day we heard about you, heard about the faith that you have, we have not stopped praying for you. We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might so you may have great endurance and patience and giving joyful thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people the kingdom of light. You notice what Paul does there. He says, these are the things that have been given to you. And so I'm praying about that, that you will continue to grow towards what has been granted you. Our last sermon series was about how God develops us, trains us, helps us grow. And, and that's the way the faith is. If you are a Christian, if you have accepted baptism and allowed Jesus to take your life, then from this day until the day you die, God puts you in an education program. Not just stuff to know, although there's some of that, but ways that your heart is meant to grow, that you are meant to expand and 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 comprehend at a deep level the unity between each other, the great hope that we have because of Jesus Christ, the power that God within us gives us to love and help one another. All of these things, Paul says, I've just been praying about that for you. You young, new Christians, I want you to grow. That's the way the faith works. Not only that, but the faith does something else. You guys, this is an answer, question and answer portion of the sermon. Who is the richest person in the world right now? I didn't look this up before, so I don't honestly know. Is Jeff Bezos currently number one? Pretty sure. He's really filthy rich, that's for sure. Well, God, yes. <laughs> I meant human, but thank you. But that's, that's certainly true. The richest person in the world right now, let's say it's Jeff Bezos. That's, that's plausible. Bill Gates is maybe second or third or fourth, something, somewhere down in there. Really rich, unimaginably rich, unimaginably successful. Who was the richest person in the Roman Empire? in 33 AD. Being rich is such a big deal that surely you know the name of the biggest millionaire or billionaire in the Roman Empire in 33 AD. Who was the most gifted athlete 
in 33 AD. It's a big deal. Do you know? Who was the most famous professor in the Roman Empire? Scholar in 33 AD. Do you know that? Do you know the names of the followers of a guy named Jesus Christ? Who can tell me a name? You can, you can talk. John, James, Peter, Andrew, Matthew. Yeah, yeah, think of just if I didn't have anything left to the sermon, and I have a little bit more, but if I didn't have anything left to the sermon, think about what we just did. The stuff that seems so overwhelmingly crucial to us, that's what makes an important person. Wealth, power, glory, honor, recognized knowledge, whatever. That all fades. And what are the names that we still know? The names that we still know are the people who reached out their hands and received the salvation that was being offered them and, and gave themselves over to the cause of Jesus Christ. Peter, Andrew, James, John, Philip, Bartholomew, Thomas, Matthew. You know those names. And people all around the world know those names. And all the other important people of the Roman Empire are long gone, are known only to historians. What will make you remarkable? What will make you outstanding? What will make your name live on? The writings of the Bible tell us faith. Most famous passage about this, of course, is what we now call Hebrews chapter 11. The writer of Hebrews didn't add any chapters, but we call it Hebrews 11. And he, he just names, name after name. Here's what Abel did, here's what Noah did. Here's what Moses did. Here is what, and then after a while, he just gives up. He says, I would run out of time. I do not have time, starting in verse 32. I don't have time to tell you about Gideon or Barak or Samson or Jephthah, about David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice, gained what was promised, who shut the mouth of lions, quenched the fury of the flames, escaped the edge of the sword, whose weakness was turned to strength, and who became powerful in battle and routed foreign armies. He says these people's name live on forever because of the faith. Because the faith, in the end, is what endures. Now, none of this means it's bad to make a living and have a job. The Bible wants us to make a living and have a job, if for no other reason than to have some money to give to, to people who are worse off than we are. None of this means it's bad to pursue the things in this life that we have the talents and ability to pursue. That's not bad. But it won't make you remarkable. The most remarkable thing about you, when all this is said and done, when the kingdom of heaven has been established and everything is made new, what will make you a hero like Barak 
and Gideon and Samson and Jephthah and David and Samuel. What will make you a hero is what you did because of your faith. Other pursuits are fine. They aren't going to make you heroic. Your faith is going to make you heroic. So every one of us from time to time can just look at our lives and say, how much do I do just because of my faith? Not because people are going to pat me on the back for it, or not because the elders are going to come visit me if I don't, or not because to please my parents, or not to look good in the eyes of the people out in the world. How much do I do because I believe Jesus Christ has come to offer me rescue? The more parts of your life that grow in the dimension of acting because of your faith in Jesus Christ, the more glorious your life becomes. That's the faith. The faith that unites us all around the world the faith that pulls us out of the darkness into salvation, and the faith that trains us to be the kind of people God wants us to be, and the faith that gives us a heroic life to live the more we live in the faith. If you need to respond to the invitation of Jesus Christ, if you need prayers or help or blessings, we invite you to come as we stand and are led in song.